0: Well, I'm going to introduce our speaker this morning for the first time ever in the United States of America or for anywhere in that matter in the world. I said last week I'd give you a real quick story about one of my very, very earliest times of preaching. It was at a uh, half Romanian, half English speaking church of about 60 people with a translator out loud Translating for the Ramon, Romanian part of the church while I'm trying to preach—not that that was distracting or anything, mind you—that's my excuse. Well, anyway, this church, because I was doing this uh, intermittently, gave me a $35 honorarium Woo-hoo! each time I preached. Right? So anyway, so I—I I knew I had bombed. I mean, there's bomb and there's bomb, and I'm usually—I am—am my worst own worst critic. So when I think I bombed, you know, it's usually not that bad. But I thought I bombed, so I go back and sit down when I'm done preaching because I got some more things to do or whatever. And I sit down next to Barb, who's always, always, always positive, supportive, absolutely. You know, if, if there isn't anything nice to say, she's quiet, right? So I go sit down next to her. She leans over to me and says, "I love you." <laughs> Okay, I knew I hit a new level of bombing. But wait, there's more. About 30 seconds pass, and she leans over again and she says, You don't have to keep the money. This man is not going to let you down this morning.
1: Thank you. Thank you, PB. If you see me shaking, that's a condition. It's not because I'm nervous. All right. Let me get my timer going here in just a second. All right. Good morning, Faith. You guys look great. hope you feel great. I'll try to keep the pacing down to a minimum. One thing you're going to miss, but it's a secret, so don't tell my wife when she gets here. But it's her birthday today, so I'll be giving her this during the next service. has to be done. So my name is Ben, and I'm the intern here at Faith. It's a very exciting time, very challenging. Uh, What that means, basically, is I get a year to learn from Pastor Bill, the other pastors here, and the, the church staff, as well as many of you. I have many mentors here. Um, and while the uh, there are pros and cons associated with with interning here, and while the the pros far outweigh the cons, I thought I'd share a few of them with you just to give you an idea of how things are going. First, pro: I'm in an office right next door to Pastor Matt. <clears throat> yep, always exciting, fun. Um, enough said there. The the con is that. Anytime I leave my office, I never really know if I'm going to be on the receiving end of a Nerf attack. Yeah. And these blue darts, these are the new ones. They are fast, and they sting, Matt. Uh, another pro, I've been given really detailed advice and practical tips on on how to manage most situations that I will face as a pastor. I've uh, Probably learned more here in the last month than I have uh, during a few years in the seminary. Um, and this is uh, the, the last con. This is inside information. I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But when I first got here, first started interning, I sent an email to the senior pastor and the associate pastor. And I said, uh, hey, you know, I'm new. I'm, I'm here. I'm excited. What do I do? What, what do I focus on? You know, point me in the right direction. And their response, it was a little confusing to me, but, well, can we just, can we get that response up on the, yeah. There we go. That was the response. Tough love, right? That was my my first task. In all seriousness, the, the internship has gone better than I could have hoped. I've met with local area pastors. I've been to memorials and funerals. I'm learning greek uh I've counseled heroin addicts i've I've evangelized to the lost and after three years in the seminary, I realized that they're they' big on theory but not so much on practice and Here at faith, I'm learning to put theory into practice okay, it's my first sermon, and I've learned a few things about sermons uh, these are these are pretty simple the first thing is you need a a good Godly message. All right, it's important. It's critical. You might say. Second, you you need to practice. It's not a good idea to wing it up here. Okay, bad idea. Uh, let's see. Third, you need to stay calm. Okay, very hard to do when your heart rate's in the 300 range. It's almost impossible. And four, tunnel vision. Not good for sermons not good for anything. Remind me not to use that one in the next service. Mm. How am I doing so far Pastor Bill?
2: <coughs>
1: I told him the one thing I don't want him to do is this. Anything else? For 10 years, a city in Ohio neglected the care and maintenance of their their parks and common areas. <coughs> And this could be any city. This one happens to be in in, uh, Ohio. And as is often the case, these neglected areas became havens for drug users, addicts and uh, gang members and such. And the city continued to ignore the problem. But they had to take action eventually when three residents drowned in one of their neglected pools. All within the same week. So the mayor decided to begin funding the community pool again, which led, quickly led to a recovery of that neighborhood, which led to more funding, more projects, and ultimately to a, a community-wide revitalization. In 1985, that same city pool celebrated the first summer in memory in which nobody drowned. The actual celebration took place at the pool And in honor of the occasion, over 200 people attended. A hundred of them were certified lifeguards. There was food, there were balloons, there was a band, there was swimming, it was a good time. It was a party. They had a party. And when the party was over, the four lifeguards on duty cleared the pool. And once the pool was cleared, they discovered a fully dressed man at the bottom, in the deep end. They jumped in. Drugged the body out of the pool, tried to revive him, but it was too late. He was out of breath. hundred lifeguards who were celebrating their accomplishments and all their hard work, and a pool full of people, all of them, missed the drowning man in the deep end of the pool. Now, this story is not about condemnation. It's about perspective. Sometimes I lack perspective. Uh, this summer my family and I got back from a two-year mission trip And while we were reconnecting with everyone on our street One of our friends came over, I'll call him Dan Dan came over and he was in the driveway And my wife and I and Dan are talking Just kind of reconnecting And Dan's not a Christian, he's not a believer uh, Dan's not a real person, I made up the name But uh, cause I'm hoping to get this person to church here But During the conversation, Dan said, Hey, so what are you going to be doing for work? And my wife said, He's going to be interning at Faith. So Dan's face lights up. I mean, just eyes big, he gets a big smile, and he says, I want to go to that church. Golden opportunity, right? Chance to evangelize, chance to talk up the church. My response, remember, three years in the seminary, fresh from the mission field, brand new intern, my response was, Cool. Okay, and, and just like that, opportunity is lost. That's how fast Satan will swoop in and interfere. The topic shifted immediately because a bunch of neighbors came up the driveway. And I, could have, I could have talked up to church and shared the gospel with Dan right then. And the neighbors would have had to listen to the whole thing. I had a whole group. I had them. But I let it go. The opportunity was lost, and it was my fault. I lost perspective. I was so excited about being back in the States. But no big deal, right? He's, my, he's a friend. He's a neighbor. I can evangelize some other time. Well, two weeks later, Dan's daughter ends up in the hospital with a serious, serious condition. And I don't want to get into details uh, for the purposes of confidentiality. And uh, to make a long story short, the daughter is alive. But things could have been a lot worse So much worse And from that experience I gained perspective I realized that by not evangelizing When I had the opportunity I had denied this family The the father and the daughter A chance to find salvation And believe me The whole time this medical scenario was playing out My heart was in my throat I had a sense of dread For letting my neighbors down And for letting God down You see, I was given salvation from God. But my friends were running out of breath. Here's why this is important. Here's the big idea. We're given a gift from God. And we need to share that gift with others. It's called evangelizing. The question is, do you have friends who are out of breath? I don't know about you. Maybe there's times where you lack perspective like I do. Can you think of opportunities where you could have evangelized, but you didn't. You can probably think of someone right now who, who needs to hear the gospel story. An image of that person probably just popped into your head. It's a, it's a family member. It's a friend. It's a coworker, It's the, the guy that makes your coffee in the morning. It's the lady at the gym. I don't know. Did you try to talk to them about Christ, but you blew it? Or did you talk to them and you need to follow up? Or have you never talked to them? Maybe you've never evangelized for for a variety of reasons. And look, the reasons they're not important. I don't I don't always evangelize because first of all, I don't always know how to start the conversation. You know, it's, it's hard to just jump in. Second, once the conversation is going, I don't know if I can manage it. I don't know if I can answer all the questions. Uh, third, it's intimidating, right? I mean, it's intimidating. And finally, and this this might be the biggest one: Who am I? To, to tell someone a better way, I mean there's parts of my past life that are a train wreck. And maybe that's been your experience as well, but I bet there are dozens of people in your circle of influence that your family and friends and coworkers who need to hear about the gospel. I would also bet that you would describe yourself as a as a poor evangelist or a bad evangelist. you're not good enough, you know smart enough not holy enough you may even feel guilty about not evangelizing enough or at all i know i do fortunately god knew we would struggle with this and he tells us what to do and what we need to know so let's see how god addresses this we'll start with the apostle paul the christian juggernaut who evangelized from from jerusalem all the way across to rome he evangelized from the lowest of the low to the all the way up to kings and uh, even the Caesar. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, for I am the least among the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted God's church. Paul didn't consider himself good enough. How about Peter? Peter wrote some stuff in the New Testament. Uh, Peter denied Christ three times. When Christ was being executed, at the one point when Jesus needed or could have used a friend, Peter bailed on him. He left. How about Matthew? Matthew wrote a gospel, so we know he's important. Matthew was a government employee, worked for Rome. He was a hated tax collector no one like Matthew we're not the only ones who are not qualified my friends if you're expecting to reach some level of perfection that will then allow you to evangelize it's not going to happen none of us are good enough none of us are smart enough none of us are holy enough least of all me but we don't rely on our own ability we rely on God's ability Amen? All right. Here's what Jesus says. And out of everything you read in Scripture, it should be right at the top, anything from Jesus. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry about what you are to say. But Say what is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak. It is the Holy Spirit. In other words, show up. Participate. the Holy Spirit is going to do all the heavy lifting. Paul confirms this in his letter to the Romans. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God wants us to preach the gospel. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus tells his disciples, and if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. You've probably heard of that before. Think of it as a great command or a great order. It's the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. These are marching orders. And a couple of things are happening here. First, Jesus was dead, but now he's alive. And he's victorious. His credibility is absolute. The disciples know this because they see him. They talk to him. There are no more doubts. They believe because everything has changed. People often wonder, well, what happened to these apostles? What happened to these guys? Because when Jesus was arrested, they all ran away. They took off. They scattered. But then they all came back. They were emboldened. Something changed. What changed? What happened? This is what happened. Jesus was resurrected, which gave him absolute authority. And he told his disciples, all authority is mine. That translates into, I am God. Because only God has all authority in heaven and on earth. Only God can make that claim. This is a profound event. This event changed everything. Second, directly after pointing out his absolute authority, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He gives them a command something to do, an action. He wants us to participate in the process of making disciples. And that includes baptizing and teaching. Jesus even tells us what to teach. Teach them to observe the things that I've commanded you. So what do we teach exactly? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the story of Jesus. That's it. So we teach that we are sinners who are separated from God, that Jesus' son, I'm sorry, that Jesus, the son of God, died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay the price for our sins, and that if we trust in Jesus and repent, that is, if we turn away from our sins, that Christ will come into our lives and we can spend eternity with him what we teach and by the way if that resonates with you and you're not a believer we need to believe right now don't wait till the very end you don't have to wait until we do an altar call do it now so look there's no escaping the fact that we have to evangelize why because we're told to because we all have friends who are running out of breath As believers, we are lifeguards. And our job is to help others. It's hard. It's tough. I know. But it's something we have to do. And there are a lot of people who are relying on us to do just that. So now what? Well, the one one thing we can't do, the one thing we absolutely cannot do, is to sit and watch and do nothing. We have to help people learn how to swim. We have to jump in and drag them out of the water before they drown you have to evangelize now, you can do this by preaching you can do this by living a godly life you can put a bumper sticker on your car you can you can close all your emails with Jesus loves you or God loves you, God bless you, whatever we have a sign out on the road that helps us out um, Christian musicians and radio stations they they preach the word through the airwaves there's There's no shortage of ways to get the message out to the lost. Statistically, though, most Christians refer to family and friends as the reason why they accept Christ. The reason. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the most effective way to evangelize is through relationships. And that requires talking to people. I mean, Buddhists and atheists, they can live upstanding lives, right? Wholesome lives. That's not going to save anybody because they don't have a God who saves people. You can talk to them all day. It's not going to save you. The key is that lost people see how Jesus lives in us and they ask us about it. Or they let us introduce Him. We point them to Christ and they believe. And God regenerates them. Our part in the process, living right, being willing to talk about the hope that we have, the hope in Jesus, our Savior. And real quick, who are the friends that I keep referring to, the friends that are out of breath? When a lifeguard becomes certified, he agrees to help anyone who is struggling in the water. Color doesn't matter. Culture doesn't matter. Religion doesn't matter. In other words, the lifeguard can't pick and choose who he's going to save. Can you imagine getting a cramp? And as you're drowning, you see the lifeguard sitting on his chair, watching you. He's decided for some reason, it's not going to help you. Imagine that was your parent or your child in the water. How horrible would that be? And we're talking about something much more important. We're talking about eternity. Christians are in the same situation. We become disciples, and we agree to help save everyone who is lost. Smart people, atheists, terrible drivers, our goofy uncle, Mormons, and everyone else. And yes, even that one person you're thinking of that that you really don't like, that one, that one person, that one too, We follow the example of Jesus and his disciples who reached out to everyone, no exceptions. Our friend is everyone. Okay, I'm going to show you an easy way to evangelize. Then I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Easy way to evangelize is through the use of a tract. There's a bunch of these on the tables out there. More about that in a minute. Like most tracts, this one is clear, it's concise, it's thorough. It's got four steps. Very simple. And there's 16 Bible verses in this one tract alone. And that's important because God's word created the entire universe. Okay, God's word in this tract. And in my sermon, for that matter, is the only thing that is inerrant that's perfect, that's powerful, that's absolute. So if the words in here can create the universe, you think they can change someone's heart? They can easily change a person's heart. In fact, I guarantee you that the words in this tract will change the person's heart who reads it. You may not see it happen, but they will either soften or harden the person's heart how God's word works one way or another God's word will do what what they are intended to do and this is not my opinion remember God's promise through Isaiah so is my word that goes out from my mouth it will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it this track will give the reader every opportunity to make an informed decision to accept or reject the Son of God. Profound, right? It's very profound. There's no gray area. You read this and you accept Christ or you reject Him. People can read this by themselves, like I said earlier, or you can help them through it. You can clarify things, answer questions. Um... Very easy, very simple. They're on the table, so now we're at the homework phase. Um, If you're not a believer, your homework is simple. Grab one of these on the way out. Take it home, read it, argue with it, struggle with it, circle things, underline things. And if you are so inclined, get in touch with me during the week, and we can talk about it. Or find a believer. Find someone that you trust and talk to them about it. Give, it, give this a chance. If you, are, if you are a believer, if you're a disciple, I'm going to make it a little bit harder for you, but it, don't worry, it's not going to be too uncomfortable. During this week, I want you to give one of these to a family member or a friend or a coworker, Someone you know. Now, this is critical. I want you to give it to someone who's not saved and who's not going to attack you for giving it to them. Well, the, I'm glad you laughed. That's not just for your protection. But I don't want you to get attacked. The, the purpose of this is to begin evangelizing. Okay, So I don't want you to give it to someone that's going to bite your head off and, and turn off the, the drive completely. The point of this is to expand God's kingdom and, and it's to help our friends who are running out of breath. It may seem silly or too simple, but this exercise is designed uh, to save souls, and these tracks are responsible for countless salvation experiences. And to make it easier, I'm just going to give you a little example of what you can of how this works. I have a friend named Nate, who's a big-time atheist, and Nate and I argue, or well, we used to all the time about the existence of God. I love Nate, so I don't mind using his name, but. This is what you can do. You can throw me under the bus here, okay? And say, hey, Nate. uh, At church Sunday, our intern pastor um, gave me a homework assignment. I was supposed to give this to someone. Can I give it to you? Is that okay? Hey, just check it out, man, and, and read it, and then I'll check back with you tomorrow. Is that cool? Now, Nate would argue with me. We would have to get into a fight right then and there. So it might be better if you just drop it off and then check back. But either way, You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're evangelizing. And you're giving Nate an opportunity to accept or reject Christ. And to be truthful, I'm not really giving you an easy way out here. This tool, like any form of evangelism, works best in the context of an established relationship. Your relationship with that person, whoever you choose, is the foundation. It's your foot in the door, so to speak. I've been praying for for all of you and for whoever you choose, and I'll continue to do so. Okay, that's your homework. Sometimes it is easy to get lost in the day-to-day business of of work and life and family and our problems. Sometimes we get lost in our accomplishments, like those lifeguards. Sometimes we even get lost in our salvation. And we forget that our job is to share the gospel with the lost. It's easy to fall into that pattern. But remember, Christianity has not grown into what it is today based on wishful thinking. The lost will not turn themselves into disciples. Disciples make other disciples. That's the bottom line. It's always been that way. Can you come up? P (laughs) B Phoebe will be closing us in prayer. Okay, close your eyes for a minute. This is my first sermon. Just humor me. Just close your eyes. Imagine your earthly life has ended. I was going to put, imagine you died. Brent thought that was a little too harsh. You are in heaven. You fought the good fight. You completed the race. Everyone who had anything to do with your salvation is there. To greet you Everything is joyful But before long you become aware That many people from your circle of influence Didn't make it They're not there And while there's no pain in heaven There is knowledge And understanding And we will be aware That we could have done more Go ahead and open your eyes. As long as you have breath in your body, you have the ability to change that outcome and to help get those people to accept Christ and spend eternity in heaven. And look, if your friend or your child was in the water drowning, would you jump in and save them? Of course you would. This is no different and no less urgent. Next Sunday, how amazing would it be if each one of you took a track, gave it to someone, and came in here with a story that the person you picked is a new Christian. It would be amazing, right? Not terribly realistic. What if half of you had that story? Or a fourth of you. What if a fourth of you came in and told me that the person you picked new christian. What if 5 people were saved? Would it be worth it still? But even if only one of you comes in and says, "Hey, the person I picked is a new Christian." All of heaven would rejoice over that one person. And even if nobody is saved, not one, our Father in heaven will be thrilled that we reached out to our lost brothers and sisters. There's work to be done. I love you. I love you too. Hey, my mic is off.
0: And you can keep the money. Let me have you stand. That was so much better than so many of my early sermons. <laughs> Lord in heaven, what Ben has given us this morning as an exercise, whether it seems silly, whether it seems pretentious, whether it seems like a good challenge, your Holy Spirit is behind the whole process of drawing men to yourself. And Lord in heaven, no matter what the results come of this, your spirit will continue to use that encounter in the life of that person long after they are out of our sight, out of our sphere of influence. Because salvation at the end of the day, is your business. Father, we look forward to hear stories, to see what happens. We know that you go before us. And so, as Ben said, one way or another, you will be thrilled. And it will be the pleasure of our hearts to thrill you, our God and Savior. Thank you for loving us today.
2: Amen.